Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the morning session of Sunday the 15th of March 2009, entitled, A House Not Made With Hands, and the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 8. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 1 and read down through verse 8. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, an house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven, If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. But we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Father, we thank you again this morning, Lord, for the time that we have to be here today. We realize, Lord, that we have many missing amongst our congregation this morning. Lord, many that are away, some that are sick. But, Father, we thank you for each one that is here. And now, Lord, as we take this most important time to look into your word, we realize so very much that we are completely and totally dependent upon you. We do pray, Lord, that, Lord, in spite of our weaknesses, that, Lord, you would see fit to empower us, to anoint, to speak the very words that need to be spoken here this day. Father, you know every heart. You know every need. Father, we commit each individual to you. Pray that those needs would be met in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen and amen. Verse 1, I'd like to reread again. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, We have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. What do we actually know about what happens to us after death? Well, one thing we know for sure as far as this physical body and science can confirm for us is that it simply decays. It dissolves. It ceases to be anything except the dust from which it came. What else? What lies ahead of us after this body takes its last breath? Who knows what's beyond the grave? Well, you've probably read or heard some of the same stories that I have where I know there are some people that claim out-of-body experiences that claim after death that they've left and they've come back and all these different things, and can we believe what they say? Well, I'll let you decide that for yourself this morning. (laughs) But there is one that knows. (laughs) There's one in whom I'm more willing to place my confidence anyway. (laughs) For those that believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got God's Word. What does God teach us about our bodies and our being, if you would, after death? Well, I I, I know of at least two out-of-body experiences that come to mind from Scripture in which I would have absolute confidence in what they tell me because God himself has seen fit to record it in his word. One, of course, is the Apostle John and 
you have it in your book as the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible. And of course, John saw things in heaven and he pinned those things down through inspiration of the Holy Spirit that gives us one of the clearest pictures that we have of what heaven itself is going to be like. And of course, not only the Apostle John, but the Apostle Paul, he recorded for us in his letters to the church at Corinth and spoke of it in other places as well. As a matter of fact, the experience that he had, he kind of left him scratching his head, not real sure whether he was in the body or out of the body or what was going on, but he knew what he had seen. And it's the Apostle Paul's experience that I want us to focus on here this morning because it's his experience that he had that has allowed him to pin these words that we have read here this morning. And the direction that we want to point our attention is not so much the place that they tell us about, but the person. What is it going to be like for us? Both of them tell us some things about the place, which are great and exciting, and most of us like to, to read about heaven, especially if you're hoping to go there someday. And it's one of those things that most preachers like to preach on because they're joyful type things to preach about. But I want us to specifically focus on the person, the bodily existence in life. What happens to us after death besides decay? Science knows that much, but as we look to God this morning, what do we know beyond that? Now, if you're here this morning and you're concerned more specifically about what happens to the person who does not have their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, what happens to the one that doesn't have that confidence of knowing that they're going to heaven? Well, I would just simply encourage you that you can go back to the sermon that was preached back in, I think it was early December. There's a two-part sermon on hell that you can direct your attention to there, and I think that the, those two together would make it quite clear what the unsaved, the unregenerated, the lost person has to look forward to following death. Now, those are not on the website yet, but they're being digitalized from cassette. I think Panos has taken care of that for us so that they can be uploaded onto the, to the site there. But today I want to answer this question in regards to those who have placed their trust in the finished work of Christ. As we deal with the individual, with our bodily existence. If you are here as an unbeliever this morning, then I want you to recognize and realize that what we look at here this morning could be for you. But if you're here as a believer today, this will be for you. If you're not yet a Christian, it could be if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But for the child of God, it is what we already know and can have the same confidence that the Apostle Paul did in looking forward to, to our existence. <coughs> now, staying with 2 Corinthians, looking over into chapter 12, I'd like to read just a few verses there. where the Apostle Paul says this. He says, It is not expedient for me. It's not profitable for me doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He said, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Here's where he says, Whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, 
Again, whether in the body or out of the body, I, I cannot tell. God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory but in my infirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be or that he heareth of me. You see, Paul knew he still had to struggle with pride like all of us. And because he had had this experience, which was, to say the least, out of the ordinary, and out of the body experience was not something that everybody experienced every day of their life. But he said, I, I can't get the big head over this. I can't be foolish enough. The glory that somehow is because of something that I am, that this has happened. He says in verse 7, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that was given to me, a thorn in the flesh. Unless I get the big head too quick about what God has shown me that others haven't seen, you give me a thorn in the flesh. The messenger of Satan, he says, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. God didn't remove it. It says, and he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Because of this out-of-body experience that the Apostle Paul had, he said, God gave me this thorn in the flesh. And boy, theologians and Christians alike have speculated all these years about what that thorn in the flesh was. Aren't you glad God didn't tell us? <laughs> because that way it can fit whatever your thorn in the flesh is. We can speculate because we know some things that it could have been with the Apostle Paul, but it's better that it remain a thorn and recognize Sometimes God has a reason for allowing these uncomfortable, unsought-after things to be a part of our lives. The Apostle Paul had just had this 14 years before some out-of-body experience. He'd seen th things that he said it wasn't even allowed for him to speak of. But before he went too far, <laughs> before he got so big thinking, wow, boy, I must be pretty important to God for him to show me this and not to show it to others, but God's kept me in check with this thorn. Now, if you notice just a few pages over in your Bible, Paul was writing to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1. Notice what he says there in verse 21 to 23. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But I live in the flesh. This is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I what not. I, I just don't know. He says, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. Because of what the apostle Paul had seen, during this experience that he had, when he got that glimpse of heaven and what life was like there, Paul said, boy, he said, I, I've been torn between ever since. He said, there's a part of me that just wants to, to leave this world and go on to that one and leave all this behind. And yet I know that for now, it's more needful that I remain here for you. God has a purpose. He was torn between these two things. What? could make that man feel that way 
about life and death. You think maybe, just possibly, it was because he'd had a first-hand experience. He had seen what was there. We might say this morning, would we feel the same way if we were able to have first-hand experience like the Apostle Paul did by going there and checking it out and then coming back? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Notice what it says beginning in verse 9. He says, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Paul said, now just stop and think a minute. Who really knows what's going on inside of you except you? People may think they know, but nobody else really knows except you. He says, well, who knows what's going on with God except the Spirit of God? But then he goes on, but he says, there's a way that you can know. Because it's the Spirit of God that knows the things of God. And that as a child of God, you no longer have the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit of God living and dwelling in you. And it's by God's Spirit that He can reveal to you the things that only God knows. So we find that we can know firsthand Literally, God present in us. We can know from God himself through the Spirit of God. You think that truly knowing and grasping and believing and holding on to those kind of truths might change the way a person sees both life and death? I think so. And just maybe allow us not only to understand, but maybe experience some of those same kind of feelings that Paul was experiencing. Wow, wouldn't I like to be there now? I mean, haven't there been places in your life that have excited you about going there? Maybe it was some special holiday that you'd been thinking about for so long, you'd been saving up for, you'd been planning for. And boy, as it draws closer, you just get so excited, you can't wait to get there. Why? Because it's something that excites you. Something that you desire, that you really want. I'm saying I honestly believe that if, if we can grasp the truths of what waits for us, that we'll, I'm not saying that we want to rush out and get on the first busload that's leaving this world to, uh, uh, by way of the graveyard. I'm saying that there can be an anticipation. Wow, that's what's waiting for me. That's what I've got to to look forward to after this body lays down here. Now look back at our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. Understanding why the Apostle Paul can know these things, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. <coughs> now I want us to note just three things this morning that are absolutely evident about this topic from this one verse that we look at. Something that as a believer, 
as a child of God today, you have right now in the present something that for any unbelievers that is here, that you could have even before leaving this place today through Jesus Christ right now in the present. First of all, Christians, we have an absolute assurance an absolute assurance. Paul says, for we know. For we know. Why? What's the for for? <laughs> because of what? We'll back up just a few verses in chapter 4. <coughs> Notice what he says there beginning in verse 8. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the lying of the, the, of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Carrying around is dying. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might, to the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God, which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And then he says, for, because of this, he says, this present confidence Amidst all the conflicts and things that he's just gone through that, yes, are a part of life, against, amidst all of its problems and everything, amidst all of that, we know. Literally means to, to see something, to perceive with the eyes, to perceive literally by any of the senses. It's used of a person who is an eyewitness and knows something firsthand. It's the tense of something that is a completed action. Now, I'm going to ask you, who's here this morning? Who's got a cigarette lighter? You've got to plead guilty here, see. Bonnie, you got a lighter? <laughs> anybody? Anybody got? Okay, how about, how about a pen? One of you ladies got a sharp pen. No, not that kind Pen, P-I-N, not P-E-N. <laughs> Anybody? No fire. Where's all the dangerous stuff? <laughs> Safety pin, straight pin, nothing at all. Well, All right. Now, who's brave? Who wants to volunteer? <laughs> now, I was going to do it with, with fire, but uh, how many of you have had blood tests before? Go in, they, they take your hand, they stick it out, and what do they do? They poke it. What happens? The blood comes out, just like we see right there. <laughs> Put on a little slide or whatever, you know. <laughs> I've injured one of the congregants. Oh, no. 
But now, the next time you go in to have that same thing done, what do, what do you do when you go to stick your finger out? Stick it out again, bro. <laughs> Why? Because we learn by our experiences, don't we? You know, the, the same thing with, with, with fire. You know, you, you, you might stick your finger in the fire the first time, and guess what do you figure out? You figure out real quick, it gets hot. And what do you do? You jerk your finger out. The next time you get close to that heat, you know. See, that's what, he's, that's what he's talking about here when he says, for we know. We know with absolute certainty. You see, there is absolutely no question. Now, nobody else in here, if anybody else wants to know, like Chris knows, what it feels like for me to gouge that pen into your finger, just raise your hand and I'll be glad to give you that experience. But Chris knows because he just experienced it. He knows with absolute certainty. He knows what it feels like because he felt it. And that's exactly the picture that the Apostle Paul is getting across in these words. We know with absolute certainty he's experienced it with his own senses. Right now, in the present. Why? Because the tense here is saying we know right now, in the present, because of something that we experienced in the past. Now, hopefully no matter how young or how old you are. There are things you know today by the experience of life that you've lived, that you've learned something from it, that you know those things because of those experiences. The Apostle Paul is saying, we know right now in the present because it's the things that we've learned in the past And those truths are unchangeable. Those truths are unchangeable. You see, back in 1 Corinthians when we read there a while ago from chapter 2, notice what did he say there again in verse 10? But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. God hath revealed. When God, has taken up residence and revealed to us through His Spirit. We know because of what He has done there. Notice what it said in verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God. Why? That we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Now everything you learn doesn't have to be by pain. It can be by joy. It can be because something made you feel so good. It felt so nice. It smelled so good. It looked so pretty. You know, I'm just saying, we know these things, and that's what he's getting across to us here, that we have an absolute assurance. You know, as Christians, we ought to rejoice in what theologically we call the immutability of God, His unchangeableness. God doesn't just decide to change his mind one day. When he says it, that's it. That's, it's different with man. You know, I, I remember reading here sometime back that the average science book that we put into the schools for our children to learn all of the scientific facts, that the schools are extremely fortunate if they can get 10 years out of a science book before it has to be changed, it has to be rewritten. Now, now some will boast of that as a positive thing because it shows how much more we're learning. and We have to get those, those new ideas in there. Well, even if we give them that, what about the fact that they're not just putting new ideas but they're continually having to go back and change the ideas that they had in the last book because they figure out what they thought they knew they didn't really know. I don't remember where I read it, but I jotted it down because it said man is continually changing his scientific facts because infallible ideas replace other infallible ideas because they became fallible after all. 
Man thinks he's learned these things and they're absolute and they're certain. And before you know it, something comes along that changes his mind. It wasn't infallible after all. But you see, I'm not saying that we shouldn't change our science book and our facts and stay up to date with new ideas. But the truth is, man is continually having to change his mind, change his views, change his ideas, because the very nature of man and all that he does is fallible. But I would challenge you to look at God's Word in comparison to that science book. You see, if your knowledge today of what was, having, of what was taking place after the grave, after death, I'm just saying that if you only had to base it upon science, if you had to base it upon what man could scientifically show you today takes place after death besides decay, I'm saying to you that even in that, how could that compare to what we have in God's Word? You see, it's never been rewritten. Not by God. Man's tried to rewrite it. Man's tried to change it. It's never had to be gone back and gone through and changed because a better idea was come up with. Because something that was there proved to be wrong after all. You see, the book of Job, recognized to be the oldest book of the Bible, it's got a lot to say about astronomy and science that took man centuries to discover in his scientific facts that God had it right already. God had told them these things. We find that when we look at Moses and the prophets in the Old Testament, they tell us how it all began. They tell us where it went after it began. They tell us where it's all going to. The New Testament comes along and it confirms those things, often shedding more light and more detail on the things that we know. And guess what? It's never needed changing. Even as God was writing it, He never had to go back and change His mind or change an idea that He had already given to us in the first place. You see, God is the author. And He's right the first time, every time. He hasn't changed His mind, and He never will. He's never been proven wrong, and He never will be. This book was written over some 1,600 years by 40 different writers, but it only had one author. Many of those writers never not only seeing each other, not many people live to be 1,600 years old, but many of them never even knowing of the other's writings. Yet, all of it being so cohesive, one not contradicting the other, even when writing on the same subjects. Why? Well, the psalm said it this way in Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever. Forever. I mean, I, I could camp out there for a long time, but I just want you to grasp and understand what I mean when I'm talking about the absoluteness of this assurance that you can have. You can know because God reveals it to you. Not man's ideas that might change, even if it's the greatest scientific facts of our day. It could be proven wrong, but God never has. We know because of Him, we know. He says that if, if, that's what's known as a third-class condition. It sort of means like, well, maybe we will, maybe we won't. Now, hang on. We're talking about absolute assurance, and then all of a sudden we're talking about maybes and ifs. What's that all about? Well, just look. Stay with me. Remember what we're talking about, what's going to happen to our body after death. Well, I think that there's probably the slight possibility 
that everybody here this morning is not dead yet. Am I correct? <laughs> Some of you at least are still breathing out there. Well, notice then that there is a condition that we're looking at here. You've got to either die and leave this body behind or leave in the rapture if you're still here then. There is an absolute assurance that if and when that body lies down, that if our earthly house of this tabernacle... Now, let's stop there. Because in the first instance, we see an absolute assurance. But secondly here, we see a temporary tabernacle. A temporary tabernacle. Our earthly house. We know with absolute assurance, with absolute certainty, that if and when our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved. Our earthly house, our house, our dwelling place upon this earth. Now, he's not talking about the brick and mortars, is he? <laughs> we know that he's talking about the body. He's speaking of the terrestrial, the earthly, rather than the celestial, the heavenly. Our earthly house of this tabernacle. What does that word tabernacle there mean? I'm sure you've heard that one before. It literally is what we would translate as a tent or a hut in some cases, but a temporary, transient type dwelling. He's speaking here of our earthly dwelling in this tent house is literally what he's saying. Since Adam's sin, this body has only been a temporary dwelling place. God never promised us forever in this present body. All attempts to overcome in any way the curse of death in these bodies, apart from the cross of Calvary, they're futile. They're a total, complete, waste of time. Now, Paul was pretty experienced in this idea of tents, wasn't he? Remember, he was a tent maker. That's what he did in order to be able to minister in some of the, that's what he did to get the money, not only for himself, but sometimes for others so that they could carry on the ministry. I made the joke a few times. Paul can make tents, I can make subs, Amen. <laughs> It's a means to be able to accomplish what God has truly placed upon your life. Paul was a tent maker, and he's saying, you know, that we live in this tent house. Tents, by their very nature, they're just temporary. They're meant to be transient. No matter what you do, you can coat them in all the, la the latest chemicals and all these things to to make them last, to make them shed the, the weather better and everything, but they'll only last for so long. You know what happens after a while? They begin to rot. They begin to decay. As you use them, they show some wear and tear along the way. And guess what? Sometimes you've got to put a few patches on, patch them up, repair them, in order to be able to use them for a little bit longer. But eventually... They wear out beyond repair. Medical science can continue to patch up our tents that we live in. They can help to lengthen the duration of those tents by God's grace. I praise God for doctors and for their dedication. We ought to pray for them. We all need some tent repairs sometimes. But this tent will never be permanent, folks. The older it gets, the more repairs it usually needs. It's only temporary. It is transient in nature. Even at its very best, it's still a tent. It's still temporary. 
God has something else in mind. Paul says, we know with absolute assurance that if, if this temporary tent house that we dwell in here on earth, if that, he says, were dissolved, to dissolve, to disunite, to destroy. It's interesting, the word here literally means to loosen down, like loosening down or taking down a tent is the picture that he's giving us here. We know with absolute assurance that if I am disunited or dissolved from this tent house, if for whatever reason this temporary tabernacle, this tent house in which I dwell is loosed down, is taken down, it's here that I want you to see the third point. Not only the absolute assurance and the temporary tabernacle, but thirdly, the permanent possession. The permanent possession. See, he says if, if this happens, and it will at some point, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, he says, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal. In the heavens. We started this verse with for we know. Now we come to we have. You see, we know with absolute assurance of something that we have right now. We have it. The word here literally is described. You know, I'm sure you've read and heard on the news of many people's savings and things like this, that banks have been collapsing and people have had their money invested in the stock market and all these places. Now, it's one thing, Brother Chris, for me to tell you that I've got 20 pounds. I've got it. It's in the bank, but I've got it. Well, if it's in the bank, do I really have it? You hope so. But the truth is, we've just seen much in the news lately, that's not necessarily the fact. But the word here, when it says we have, it literally means I've got a 20-pound note right there, but I have it in my hand. I've got it. It's not just having it over there somewhere. It's not just up for safety. I've got it right now in my hand, is what he's saying. That's how certain this possession is that we have here. He says, what do I know that I have right now in my possession just as surely as I'm holding it in my hand here right now? He says, we have a building. A building. Now remember, he said that we had a tabernacle, and here he's calling it a building. The tabernacle was a temporary tent house. But here this building is refers to a permanent structure in total contrast to that which was temporary. If the temporary is done away with, I have in my hands that certain, something that's permanent, a building, he says, of God or from God, proceeding from God as a gift from God. I've got in my hand right now something that came from God. He says, an house not made with hands. I've got right now in my hands a gift from God. The permanent possession is a house not made by hands because it is a creation of God and we don't find anywhere anything that was ever created by hand with God. We could go back and we could begin in Genesis 1. God said, and it existed. God said, and it was. Matter of fact, in Psalm 33, the psalmist tells us all about what took place back there in Genesis. Notice in, in the 33rd Psalm, and we'll just read verses 6 to 9, he says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made, 
and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathereth the waters of the sea together as in heap. He layeth up the depths and storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spake, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. This house not made with hands. I have it. Right now in my hand, it's mine. It's my permanent possession. It's come as a gift from God. It wasn't made with hands. Notice he says, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Just in case you've missed everything that I've said, just in case you missed the permanence of this building versus the temporary transient status of the other one, I'm reiterating to you here again, it is eternal in contrast to the temporary. It is eternal in the heavens where nothing can corrupt it, where nothing can get to it in complete contrast to that temporary which is here on the earth. Right now in the present as a blood-bought child of God, as someone that's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, you have in your permanent possession, just as surely as I hold that piece of paper in my hand this morning, you have right now in your possession a house not made by hands, but created by God Himself. And given to you, it's located in heaven, and it is eternal. It's never going anywhere. Christian, as we close this morning, Christian, you have absolute assurance. If God, if the Spirit don't dwell in you, you don't belong to God. If you're a child of God, his spirit lives within you. And it's God himself that can reveal to you firsthand, which he's done right here, which is more certain than anything that man could ever reveal to you in all of his greatest scientific facts. God has revealed to you in his word. You've got absolute assurance that if and when your temporary tabernacle, that tent house that every one of us currently dwell in here this morning on this earth, when it's dissolved, when it's taken down, for whatever reason, whenever it happens, you have a permanent possession, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. How could Paul be so sure of what awaited him after death? For we know. Because he had a present assurance of his salvation in Christ. I wonder, do you have that assurance here this morning? I mean, you can know a lot of good things in this life. But do you know with absolute assurance that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't care how many times you've been to church. I don't care how many good things you've done. I don't care what all that you've even accomplished for God himself. I'm asking you, do you have that kind of absolute assurance in your life that you know as a sinner, by God's grace, you have sought mercy from God? And the only way that you can ask for that mercy, that you can seek that forgiveness, is because of Jesus Christ who he was, and what he did for you. He died to pay for your sins. The sins must be paid for. Do you have that same absolute assurance right now in the presence of your salvation? You can have. And only then can you have any kind of assurance of what is beyond the grave for you. Because what we've looked at 
here this morning. It's certain. It's absolute. But only for those that know the Lord Jesus Christ. It can only come by trusting in the finished work of Calvary. In what Jesus Christ did for you. Do you know that you're ready? Because we can all leave this world. One of the most difficult things that pastors have to do is preach funerals. And I've had to do a lot in my life. But you know, the truth is, there's a big difference, a huge difference, when that body's laying in that coffin, when that person had the assurance of knowing that they were ready to face God, or that person that's laying there that you have none of that confidence whatsoever. I'm saying today, Christians, what an exciting thing. We have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heaven. What a gift. What to look forward to. What what is there to fear about death when we have that kind of assurance? It should encourage us and help us to rejoice. But if you're here and you're not a Christian, And it should also make you recognize even today as Shelly makes her way to the piano. You can have that today. We're talking about a house not made with hands. No man can give this to you. No man can do it for you. We're talking about a house that God himself will create for you and give to you as a gift, a permanent place to dwell. Life eternal. A dwelling place For when you leave this body, you move into that permanent one that will never decay, that will never go anywhere. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you this morning, Lord, for the promise that we have as your children. I pray that you can use these words to be an encouragement to those that belong to you here today. And Father, I pray just as surely that you could use them for a challenge for anyone that might be here that does not have that assurance that doesn't know that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that you would work in their hearts through the power of your Spirit right now. I do pray, Lord, that even before they leave here today, Lord, that they could find the faith to put their trust in Christ and to leave here with that same assurance. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.